Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Here we are um, in this teaching. This is um, the last. Oh my goodness! This is the last teaching in the series asking for a friend at least for this year um this is the last and i believe it's going to end on a very high note if you've made it so far for the two months we've taught on this series asking for a friend because some of you care about your friends a lot and you'll like them to have the right answers to the questions they're asking if this is you completing these two months with us i have to say you are exceptionally special to me you are the real mvps if you haven't and and probably this is your first time um this is your first time listening uh, i want you to um, go back to the previous teachings on all podcast platforms and just check it out i want you to um go check them out listen and re-listen if you were here and you didn't even miss anyone you need to re-listen to these things so many things that you'll be blessed by as you check it out. All right, glory to God. I mean, there's so much to talk about, so let's just get started right away. The topic for this evening, which you're, you've probably already seen in the posters, is must I be baptized to get to heaven? Must I be baptized to get to heaven? Or to go to heaven, right? Must I be baptized to go to heaven? And I think when it surrounds questions about heaven or hell or matters of of eternal weight, I think that those are some of the most important questions that need to be answered. And, and this is one of those questions. This is a question that I've had since I was a child. It's something that I've always asked, you know, because I was afraid. I grew up in the church. Um, in, in a family church where um, you have to reach a certain age to be baptized. And when only when you are baptized can you then partake in the Holy Communion, you know, and, 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 and take the bread and the wine. So you have to reach a certain age before you can be baptized. But one thing that scared me, in fact, I was not so shallow. I wasn't just thinking about the bread and the ribena, as I would call it then. Um, I was more concerned of eternal matters. I was just 10 at the time. And I think you have to be 12. That was back then, 12 or 13 or so, um, before you can be baptized. And I was always afraid. Why? Because if this baptism was very important to get me into heaven, as some scriptures seem to say, then it means... At this point that I am, because I'm not old enough, I don't qualify for the baptism. And if I don't qualify for the baptism, it means that I'm disqualified from heaven altogether. I was afraid. I would ask my mom. I would ask my dad. I would ask the pastors in the church, like, when can I get baptized? I don't want to go to hell. It was a real concern. And it was not a concern that the average 10-year-old was asking or was having, rather. But it was a concern to me. You know, and, and, you know, I think it's a very valid question. It's something that we need to answer for people who are asking this question. But let me start here. I want to say that, you know, one thing you need to remember is that you cannot, 
obtain doctrine for the church from the Old Testament or even the gospel accounts. It'll be wrong for you to look at the, the happenings in the Old Testament and look at the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can't go through this, this accounts and, and use those things that are written there as doctrine. One reason is because even just looking at the Old Testament, there were several things that Moses had instituted. And Jesus said, you have once heard, you know, things like that. You've once heard that Moses said this and this, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, love your neighbors as yourself. You've heard that Moses says you should put a woman away, you know, with the, with the agreement of divorce. But I say that what God has joined together, let no man put us on that. Jesus repealed and revised the law. You know, and so to say, okay, I want to just take the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament as, as doctrine. It would be wrong because it was corrected. And if you're going to talk about the gospel accounts and the narratives that happened, you need to be careful, you know, even with, with the Acts of the Apostles. Because you, what you'll see and you'll notice is a growing concern. Uh, sorry, a growing revelation, pardon me a progressive revelation as time went on, right? If you look at this, John chapter 16, verse 12 um, to 13, just stay with me and open your Bibles, okay? Open your Bibles to John 16 from verse 12 to 13. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. It says, I have yet many things to say to you. This is our Lord Jesus speaking, but you cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. So he's saying, there are so many things I want to reveal to you, but you can't understand them. Because they will just fall on deaf ears. They, you won't understand. You need something. You need an interpreter on your inside to decipher all the things I want to reveal. And so this was Jesus saying, look, the spirit of truth will come. He'll be the one to guide you into all truth, to bring all things to bear, to reveal all truth, right? He shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, he shall speak. So what you see is that there was a, there was a time where they couldn't even share this revelation, um, you know, until an appointed time. Do you understand? Um, and that's what we see. We see progressive revelation as time goes on. You need to realize that even in the book of Acts, like even in the book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, there were still a lot of things that were being done that were not God's plan for the church. They were not God's will for the church. I'll give you just a couple of examples. If you look at Acts chapter 15, this was the Jerusalem council where the, the, the apostles met together, Paul and Barnabas inclusive, you know, you have James who was also a part of that, and Peter. So look at verse 1 to 2. Let's just quickly see that. Acts chapter 15 from verse 1 to 2. It says, and, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised. So some people came from Judea to teach the people, the, the brethren, the, 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 the Christian community. Except you are circumcised. After the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Whoa. Now, these are things concerning salvation. And so it's huge. The implications are huge. He's saying, if you are not circumcised, you cannot be saved. 
Verse 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and unto the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas were people that were erratic. This quest, this, this kind of teaching stung them. What? Wait, what? Wait, are you saying because Paul and Barnabas in, in chapter 13 had been commissioned to the Gentile communi- community. You know, when it says separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for, for the work that I'll send them, which was the work to the Gentiles. So you're going to the Gentiles who had never heard about circumcision, you know, cutting off the foreskin of their flesh, according to the law of Moses. And you're telling them that they have to tell these people that until they do that, they cannot be saved. They, they were upset. And so, the, I mean, there were a lot of arguments is what they're trying to say. People didn't know exactly what the truth was. And so they took it to the council in Jerusalem, you know. In fact, look at what was going on in chapter in verse five. If you read further, it says, "But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed." So there were believers who were also Pharisees. There were actual people who were Christians, but they were Pharisees by by um, um their, by status, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So these were people that were trying to mix the law of Moses. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can't blame them. This is what they had known their whole life. You know, and this is what had been prophesied that there will be a Messiah. It just followed that, oh, we should still keep some of these things we are holding on to. Whereas they don't realize that the Bible says um, that the, um, the law came through Moses. But, and that word but, wherever you see it, it, it means, look, that was how it was then. But this is the reality. This is the good thing. This is the real thing. But grace, which is the truth, came by Jesus Christ. Glory to God. And so you can see that they had arguments and divisions even within themselves in the church, in the narrative of Acts. So it tells you that even the disciples there were growing in revelation knowledge. There were certain things that they were doing that are not God's prescribed model for the church. That's what I'm trying to say. But look at this. Where then do we get our doctrine for the church where do we obtain our understanding of god's will for the church and this is what i want to show you look at ephesians chapter 3 from verse 2 to 6 i'm going to read very quickly this is still introductory i want you to see this very very closely ephesians chapter 3 from verse 2 to 6 ah this will bless you in no small way this is good this is so good verse 2 if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you. This is Paul speaking. How that, this is this dispensation of grace is trying to explain the dispensation of grace. Verse three, how that by revelation, he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote before in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So he's saying that, look, the things about Christ that were said in the Old Testament, you know, were, were mysterious, even to a large extent in the gospel accounts. He said that there were mysterious things, but now it has been revealed. How that by revelation, he made known unto me this mystery. And he says, when you read what I have written, you'll understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So literally, the solution to the revelation issue, the, the limitations in their revelation, were the writings of Paul. 
to these churches. Do you understand that? So that when they read these writings, they understand his knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Look at verse 5. Which in other ages was not made unto the sons, was not made known unto the sons of men. Right? In other ages, talking about the old dispensation, the old testament, the old covenant. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So it was a mystery. People didn't see it. They didn't see it. Do you know that even in the church, in, in this council of Jerusalem, they didn't realize and they didn't hold to the fact that even Gentiles could be saved. They didn't believe that. It, it, it makes me wonder how Philip could even go the extra mile to meet the eunuch in, in you know, earlier chapters in Acts and, and, and preach to this guy, explain the scripture in Isaiah that he was talking about the Messiah. And this guy got saved. I don't believe it was his, his intention to get this guy saved. He was passing by. He saw this guy reading the scriptures and wanted to help. And through that communication, that interaction, the guy got saved. But, I mean, the Bible has always, I mean, the Jews have always known this, that salvation is of the Jews. Right? Jesus himself even mentioned it. Um, you know, and Paul mentioned the salvation is of the Jews. It doesn't mean that salvation is only for the Jews. But that it starts with the Jews. Praise the name of Jesus. Anyways, they, dis they, they disagreed about this in the early church, in the early council, in the early church. But look at what Paul is saying here. He's, 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 in fact, the decision in Acts 15 in the council was that, okay, you know what? Let's not trouble those that are saved, you know, that are Gentiles. Let's just leave them. It wasn't like, let's embrace them. It was, eh, let's just leave them. Maybe they're in. It's fine. We will manage them. That was the perspective. Let them shall not take anything offered to idol or anything that was strangled, you know, and, and they should they should still uphold some of the laws of Moses. But Paul, he's, he's, he's speaking here that, look, no, before, you know, these things were not known, God's plan, that his plan was more extensive than just the Jews. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. This is the revelation. Verse 6 of, of Ephesians 3, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Hallelujah. So what you're seeing here is that God's plan all along was to unite both Jews and Gentiles in the same body to be partakers of the same promise in Jesus Christ by the gospel. Hallelujah. So what I'm trying to tell you is this, in the epistles, in the letters that were written to the churches or to particular individuals, in the epistles from Romans all the way to Jude, what you see is revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge. So yes, there were traditions in the past. There were practices in the old time. But where do you get the doctrine for the New Testament church in Christ? It's in the epistles because it was revealed. Glory to God. The mystery of Christ has now been revealed. It was in the, those days you can say, Ah, God is so mysterious. His ways are not my ways. Now we know his ways by the Spirit. Hallelujah. We see that the, the mystery of God has been revealed in the person of Christ by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. That's exciting. 
So, so look, if you want to understand what God wants for the church, you see it in the revelation that was given to his holy apostles and prophets. Is, is that very clear? Do you see that? So, just because you saw it in Acts or, or the gospel accounts doesn't mean that that's God's model for the church. The epistles reveal God's will for the church. Hallelujah. All right, so that's by way of, of introduction. That's what I want you to understand so that from this we build further. Um, what I want to do is I want to... I know there are a lot of common scriptures that will pop into your mind when you talk about baptism, especially water baptism. You know, there are a lot of scriptures that will pop into your mind. And we're going to go there. But one thing I've realized about the Lord Jesus himself and even the, the Old Testament prophets is that a lot of things, you know, that they were going to talk about were, were used in symbols. They were, they, were, they were masked in types, in shadows, in symbolism, right? And that's something that was commonly done for, for even the Holy Spirit himself, right? And I want us to go through these elemental representations of the Holy Spirit. There are some elements that have been used to describe the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you why this is important, why you need to know this. It's going to help you understand what I'm going to say much later. So let's take our time and look at some elements. I'm going to give us just four elements that, um, ex that, that seem to symbolize and represent the Holy Spirit. All right, are you with me, guys? All right, let's do this. The first element is oil. Oil, or as some of us would say, oil, right? Um, that's the first element. So I want to give you some scriptures that, that indicate that, that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. The first is First Samuel 16 from verse 13. Let's open our Bibles there. I want you to actually open your Bibles and see these things. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, this is great. First Samuel 16, 13. Look at this. This was the, the ordination of King David. This was the ordination of King David. It says this. Um, so Samuel, that's prophet Samuel, took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. You know the story how that God wanted choose a king from the sons of Jesse and all the others looked so wonderfully built and responsible but there was someone that God had in mind the one that everyone had looked down on the one that everyone saw as a pariah the one that nobody considered God could use and I love that story because it speaks of me it speaks of me in many ways the one that people have looked down on the one that people wouldn't expect God to use and I'm sure it speaks of you too because it proves that God does not just does not just call those who are qualified. He qualifies those who are called. Those that the world has looked down upon, he raises them for his glory. I love it. And he did that with David, the shepherd boy. Right? And he, Samuel was anointed. And look at what happened. He was anointed in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully. This is the new international version. That's NIV. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 
Look at that. So when he anointed David with oil, there was a rushing of the spirit. The spirit of God came upon David powerfully. So that's where we see a direct link between the anointing oil and the Holy Spirit's presence and, and, and ordination. And this is what happened with, with the kings and the priests and the prophets and the judges when they were anointed with oil. Um, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them to enable them to do a particular task and, and, and rule God's people. Praise the name of Jesus. Another one, let's check out Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61 from verse 1. You know this one. It's it's more common in another verse. But when you read this one with me, you would know um, where this is from. Isaiah 61 from verse 1. Remember, we're still talking about the oil and how it represents the Holy Spirit. Okay, look at this. Beautiful. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Hallelujah. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners. Glory to Jesus. So this tells, he says, the, the Spirit of the God is upon me. How? Because he has anointed me. Anointing is a term that is used with oil. It's not a loose term. It's, it's, it's a term used to oil. And this is Isaiah who is meant to be a prophet who is speaking this. And this is a messianic prophecy where, where you know, in Acts chapter 10, I mean, Jesus even read the scripture and, and, and said that today this has been fulfilled in your very eyes. You know, he said that when he read it out. And Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says the same thing. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. So you see that he, the, he wasn't just anointed with oil. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. So when you hear indications of, oh, use the oil for this, use the oil for that, anoint with oil. It's not just a substance that is medicinal or ceremonial. It is representative of the Holy Spirit, of his presence, of his power. That's what it represents. Do you see that? And he went about doing good healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's beautiful. You know, another thing to think about, another scripture that comes to mind is Joel chapter 2 from verse 28, when he says, In the last days, I will pour out what? My spirit upon all flesh. He will pour out. That's, that's a term you use for oil. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So this is something to remember that the oil is not just, just that substance. Many times in scripture and, and in literature, it can be used to symbolize something else. And in this case, to symbolize the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. Number two is wind. The Holy Spirit has been likened to wind. And I'm going to prove it to you. Oh, this is beautiful. Look at this. John chapter 3 from verse 8. Oh, this is good. Are you there? John chapter 3 from verse 8. It says, you know, this is Jesus speaking as well. Uh, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So also is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So anyone who is born of the Spirit will act like the Spirit. And how does the spirit act like the wind blows? You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. Do you understand? That's, that's, that's how it is. That's, that's how um, the spirit has been likened to wind. 
All right. And, and, and another place to look at this is Acts chapter two from verse two, where the the apostles and, and the disciples of Jesus after his ascension were waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. And look at what happens in verse two in Acts chapter two. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the house, the whole house where they were sitting, right? There was a violent rushing wind, came with a lot of noise and shook the place where they were sitting. So the Holy Spirit and his presence has also been likened to a mighty rushing wind, right? And so that's something to think about. So that's another element that has been used to represent the Holy Spirit. Number three, the third element I'm going to mention is fire. Some of they say fire. It's spelled F-A-Y-A. Did you get that? <laughs> fire. I'm kidding. F-I-R-E. Right. Um, look at that same Acts chapter 2. Just go down in verse 3. And, and we'll read verse 3 to 4. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire. Right. Distributing themselves. Tongues of fire. Clothing tongues of fire had distributed itself upon these people and they rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit giving them, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So the, the fire on their head, the cloving tongues of fire that rested upon them was symbolic of the infilling and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? That is amazing. Look at Isaiah chapter 4 from verse 4. Ah, glory to God. Isaiah chapter 4 from verse 4. I'm going to read lots more scriptures. So just get ready. And it's amazing. Don't you love reading the scriptures, guys? Don't you? It's powerful and it's such a blessing. Isaiah 4 verse, verse 4. It says, When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her mists, by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. Look at that. It says when the Lord has washed away the field. So when, when you talk about purging many times, as, aside the passion that fire it brings, the ignition that fire brings, fire is also used to purge, to purge, to make things pure, to make things clean. And it said that in, in this prophetic verse, when the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the bloodshed of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. So there you see the Holy Spirit likened to fire and burning, right? I come on scripture with a lot of people might not even look at and see it that way. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it simply says, do not, do not quench the spirit. You know, and quench is a term used when it comes to dousing a fire, to putting out a fire, to quench fire, right? It says, do not quench the spirit. Glory to God. And, and look at this. Um, this is one that we're going to come back to this one Math, in Matthew chapter 3 from verse 11 to 12. But let's read it together quickly. Matthew chapter 3 from verse 11 to 12. Are we there, guys? Are we there? All right. It says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. 
This is John the Baptist speaking. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. We're going to get back to this one. And I am not fit to remove or untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. There, there is a word in, in, in the Greek vocabulary. Um, it, it's used many ways as a conjunction or to imply synonymity. I, I'm going to explain. Um, it's the Greek word kai. K-A-I. It can be used as a conjunction like the word and to join two sentences together or two thoughts together. But it can also be used to imply synonymity depending on its usage. I don't want to get into, into that deeply. There is something called the TSKS rule um, in using the Greek word kai. But um, when I mean synonymity, it means words that are similar together. If I say that being pay is a student and pupil of Shogologo Bangoshe University. Student and pupil are two words that mean the same thing, right? The book of Revelation also talks about the devil and says the great the great dragon and devil, which is Satan. So it's talking about the same person, but using two different words, right? And you use this in everyday English. And this is what was being used here. It's the Greek word kai for and, where it says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his is, is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire so this this is a prophecy about what's going to happen it's also a parable that was used to talk about how the chaff will be separated from the wheat and he'll be the one to do that it's a it's a, it's a cleansing work that's what fire does it cleanses and so he was saying that the Holy, he will baptize you, this one, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? So, so here you see a direct link with the Holy Spirit and fire. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Then the last element, which a lot of us um, might not have realized, or maybe we have, um, is that the Holy Spirit has also being referred or symbolized with water and i'm going to show you symbolized with water um look at this isaiah 44 from verse 3 see if you don't love the book of isaiah i don't know what you're doing i i don't know what you're doing um isaiah is a powerful book you need to you need to read it and see see a lot of the messianic prophecies in there because it's all there it's all there um, Isaiah 44 from verse 3. Ah, this is good. It says, for I will pour out. When you say for I will, that's that's prophecy. That's what the Lord is going to do. And you need to be sensitive that some of these things are referring to what will be done in the person of Jesus for us, for our benefit. It says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. What? And my blessing on your descendants. You, you're seeing the, 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 the typology here. 
he, he was talking about a thirsty land, a dry ground. and says, I will pour water there. Where they are thirsty, where they are dry, where they are barren, I will pour water there. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. He's saying that your offspring, that's where the thirsty land is. And I will pour out my spirit to fill them, to quench their thirst. Praise the name of Jesus. So you see a direct link with water and the spirit. John 4 Verse 14, and, and many of us know this conversation with the Samaritan woman. Beautiful conversation. And Jesus was telling her in John 4, 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never, never thirst. Oh, this is good. Whoever drinks of the water I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He was speaking about the Holy Spirit. He was speaking about the Holy Spirit. Ah, this is good. This is good. And I'm going to read this common one that a lot of us know very well. And it's in John chapter 3. And this is where... (laughs) we dive even further into the teaching before we call it a close. John chapter 3 from verse 3 to... We're going to read till verse 6. And I want you to pay very close attention. Oh, thank you, Lord. Open your Bibles. John 3 from verse 3. John 3, 3. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You need to you need to understand this narrative. Nicodemus had heard so much about Jesus. He'd been curious, and and I love the depiction that this teaching, this um, TV series, the Chosen, put for him. You could see the the, the curiosity he had. This was a man different. He was, he he went to Jesus and said, "I mean, it's clear that no man can do the things that you do except God be with him." He was marveled. But guess what? Nicodemus came with a question. And Jesus always knowing. Jesus was not a snob and said, you know, <laughs> Nicodemus didn't just come and say, Ah, Jesus, I've heard so much about you. You know, maybe he was whining. Ah, you are this guy. You, you sabbed this thing. You can't do this thing except God is with you. And Jesus says, I, I beg, I lie. I beg, I beg. Um, you cannot, I know why you came. Um, except you are born again. You cannot enter my kingdom. It's not about all this one. Yeah, you didn't want me, but it's not about that one at all. You must be born again or not. It's not by whining me. Jesus was not a snob. What happened there was Jesus knew why he came. He knew the intent of his heart. He wanted to know how, like, what is the real way to, to get into the kingdom of God? Like, how can I make heaven for sure? What is the way? People are debating in, in the in the Jewish council, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin in general, the scribes. They had debates. They had different ideologies about what gets a person to heaven. Some say it's the laws of Moses alone. Some say, no, aside the laws of Moses, you know, you have to live a certain way. You have to do this. You have to do this right or this sacrifice. But he was like, if you are from God, then you have this answer. He came to him. How does one get into heaven? But he didn't ask it. He didn't have to. Jesus knew. He said, I tell you, except a man be born again, he cannot save the kingdom of God. 
And Nicodemus said, how can, he, wait, 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 how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb, his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus laughed, ha, 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 silly man. No, that's not what he said. But he answered and said it in another way, which you would think he was going to use to simplify. But this is how Jesus, being who he is, um, our Lord Jesus, this is what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Beautiful. And I'm sure Nicodemus is like, what have I gotten myself into? That doesn't help me. You said we should be born again. Now you're saying we should be born of water and spirit. What are you talking about? And, and this is where the questions start to, to rise. Jesus, could you be talking about the baptism of John? The, the water baptism that John orchestrated to prepare the way for you. Are, are you talking about that? Are you saying, I need to get baptized by John? And then, you know, he spoke about a spirit that you will baptize with. Does that mean that's the first level? I get baptized by water. Once that's done, I come to you and then you baptize me with your spirit. Is that what you're talking about? In the church today, a lot of interpretations have come about from this verse alone. Some say that the water is not even the baptism of the spirit. Some have said that the water is, is, is the word of God. Once you can renew your mind with the word of God, the water of God, then you can then also be renewed by the spirit of God. And with all those things, with your soul and spirit being renewed, you get into heaven. It sounds brilliant, I promise. It does. It sounds so good. But let's look closely at what it is that our Lord Jesus could be saying. We have to look closely. Uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention some points, some just so, some three major points to, to point to why I think um, the scripture doesn't say that. Alright. First of all, we're dealing with the same Greek word kai here, and it's it's used either as a conjunction or to indicate synonymy, or the two words that are synonymous, uh, synonymous to each other, right? Um, here it says, except a man be born of water and the spirit. The, this word is, in its application here, is a linking word. Another way to say it, like John said before, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit, which is fire. And in fact, that's the exact representation we see on the day of Pentecost. There were cloven tongues of fire. So that was, that was not, there, there were not two baptisms. Some will say, you know, there's a stage where you, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's cool. That's, that's kindergarten stuff. But you need to grow higher. Glory to God. There's a baptism of fire. Say fire, my God. Ah, I said fire. There's a baptism you must enter. That you must get into the realms into this thing. Ah, brother and my sister. <laughs> that's not what... That's exactly the opposite of what John was trying to say. He was, he was going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which is fire. And the same applies here. Except a man be born of water, which is the spirit. That's the application of this word, kai. How do I also know, aside from that, there was no, contextually, there was no mention of the baptism of John. No single mention. In fact, verse 6 says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
So Jesus is talking about being born again here, and he terms the, the, the phrase born again as being born of the Spirit. Do you see that? He, he, he's emphasizing what he's trying to say. Born of Spirit. Born of Spirit. That which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. There was no mention of the baptism of John here. Nothing mentioned explicitly on that, or even implicitly. Do you see that? The third reason I'm, I'm going to use to explain why I think the water here is not talking about the water baptism is John chapter 7. If you just open with me to, to four chapters ahead in verse 37. So John chapter 7 from verse 37. Are you learning something today? I, I really do hope to God that you are. John seven thirty-seven. This is beautiful. <laughs> it says... Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, do you remember that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 44, that I will pour out water on the thirsty land? Jesus is re-echoing this. If anyone is thirsty... Now he's telling them where the source of this water is. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, glory to God, from his innermost being, or in, in, in the way the King James says it, out of his bellies will flow rivers of living water. But this, look at this. See, if we had just read this, we would have just concluded so many things and made different facts. I'm so grateful for verse, for the next verse, because without it, a lot of us would have come up with different, different theories about what this means. What water is he talking about? What is he saying we should drink? What is the water that quenches thirst? What is the river of living water? This, this he spoke of the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Hallelujah. He says, but this he spoke of the spirit. So the, the water he's, he's talking about, like Isaiah mentioned, like he said to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he was telling them that I have water, that when you drink, you will never thirst again. And that water is a river, a flowing river, a never-ending river. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. It, it, it's, I'm going to come to this scripture again, but in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that's what he says, you know, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether you're Jews or, or Gentiles or slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit, drink, drink of one spirit. So it is very clear that in the way Jesus was speaking, where I mean, you know him, our Lord Jesus, he will always speak in parables. And he was speaking in the parable. The term born again is a parable. Born of water and spirit is, is a bit parabolical. And that's what he was trying to say. That look, this water I'm talking about is the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit. The, the satisfying power of the Holy Spirit. The one that quenches thirst. The one that refreshes, the one that renews. That's what I use to liken the Holy Spirit. 
And in fact, when you think about it, these elements are to help us have a better understanding on the person and character of the Holy Spirit. When you think of oil, you think of power. You think of of consecration, right? When you think of 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 wind, you talk about you talk about how unpredictable it is. You talk about the the the, the fluidity of it. When you talk about fire, you're talking about passion. You're talking about power. You're talking about authority. When you talk about water, you're talking about you know quenching, cleansing, purification. You know, this water represents the, the Holy Spirit's ability to refresh, to, to, to quench our spiritual thirst, to, to cleanse us, to, to bring forth life wherever he flows. That's the whole point. And so that's why I would say from John 3, verse 3, um, that, and in verse 5, that the water being spoken of is talking about the Holy Spirit. Except a man be born of water which is the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god he was not trying to say that there were two types of baptism because even in verse 6 it tells you that which is born of spirit is spirit he narrows it down and tells you i'm I'm talking about the holy spirit right now except you are born of the spirit you can't enter the kingdom of god how else do i know this let's go to the epistles look at ephesians chapter 4 from verse 4 to 6. look at this Ah, this is so good. Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 4 to 6. Are you there, guys? Are you there? Yeah, let's read it together. It says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Glory to God. But it tells you there is one baptism. So, I mean, clearly the answer to the to today's question, must I be baptized to go to heaven? The answer is yes, because there is one baptism that brings us all together. The answer is yes. But the question that we have to ask is what type of baptism are we talking about? Do you see that? So it's not a question of must I be baptized? You have to be baptized. But the question is what kind of baptism are you talking about? And I want, to, I want you to see from the lenses of John the Baptist himself. That there was an inferiority that he posed to his own ministry as compared to the ministry of Jesus. Look at it in, in Matthew 3 verse 11. We, we, we read it before. We're going to read it again. It says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Not just him being mightier, but his ministry is mightier, supersedes my ministry. I'm only preparing you for his ministry. I'm only preparing you for his arrival and the work that he is set to do. But I am not greater than he. I baptize with water. But see, he is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Hallelujah. Can you see that? I mean, Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to 5. You know, this is what this, this verse says. Acts chapter 1 verse 4 to 5. It says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. This is Jesus after he had resurrected, before he has, just before he ascended. 
he told them, you know, that see, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water. Look at that. Yes, John the Baptist baptized with water, but, but, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. What, what do you see? He's saying he baptized you with water, but <laughs> you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I cannot help but see that there is a superiority with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If the baptism of water were sufficient, then it wouldn't have been replaced by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If something in itself is sufficient, why bring a new thing? Why bring something that, that is, is different from it? If it's if it's not if what you already have is is good enough, in fact, what you see is that after the water baptism happened with these people, nothing tangible was seen, nothing evident. There was just a change in the people's mindset. They they started to look forward to the time the Messiah was going to come. Do you see that they were they were now prepared? Okay, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's great. We see it now. We're going to turn away from our sins and look to the one who's going to save us from our sins. That's what the water baptism did. But when, when, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to happen, look at verse 8. It said, you shall receive power. The, the baptism of water give them this power? Absolutely not. But when the Spirit baptizes you, oh good God, you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in all the world. Praise the name of Jesus. There was something different about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Something superior. And in fact, this is one reason that Paul in his writings to the Corinthians, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 14 to, to, to verse 17. All right, and this, this one is absolutely controversial. It is. Um, but we're going to read it. Anyways. And, and I'm like, what is Paul saying? Look at verse 14. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 14. It says, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Wait, what? Okay, let me let me just give you some. Just, let me just hear what you're trying to say. Okay, go on, Paul. Okay, let me see what I was saying. I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius. Lest any should say that I had baptized them in my own name. And I baptized maybe, you know, the household of Stephanas. Besides that, I do not know whether I baptized any other person. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Wait, wait, what? Wait, Paul, wait, what are you saying, bro? I beg, collect the mic from him. Eh? Apostle Paul, what, what are you trying to say? I beg, I beg, I beg, relax. What do you mean by that Christ did not send you to baptize? I thought baptizing was what saved the person, being born of water. And you are saying that a vital part of the gospel, you are not doing it. Are you not a failure as an apostle? You know, what makes you different? John the Baptist baptized. Philip baptized the eunuch. Even Peter baptized Cornelius. So what, what makes you different? Paul is saying, Christ did not send me to baptize but preach the gospel. It tells you that these two things are mutually exclusive. That it was not sent to baptize with water, but that through the preaching of the gospel, people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
Ah, glory to God. And look at the, the story of Cornelius. If you just look at it and just go there quickly. You know, after Peter didn't know what was going on, Cornelius was a Gentile. He was an Italian soldier, a Roman soldier. And he was with his household. But, you know, with all the angelic interventions and, and, and directions, he finally found his way to, to Cornelius. And after he had talked to he was just distant Cornelius. He didn't have plans, just like Philip, to convert him or make him a believer. He was just distant what had happened. Ah, that's how I saw a vision. That's how I found myself here. That's why I'm talking to you now. That's why this is this, this. And as he was doing that, while Peter was still, he was still shalayed. It's not in your Bible. While Peter shalayed, glory to God. <laughs> he, while he yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. All of them. My goodness. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. Those who were of the circumcision of the Jews. They were surprised. Wait, 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 wait. What's going on? How did they know that the Holy Ghost fell on all of them? Because it says, that, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. They spoke in tongues. And it was clear that look, this thing is not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. He says, can any man, verse 47, Peter then said, can any man forbid water? That this should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as we, as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Remember, this is chapter 10. This is before a lot of things were being revised at the Jerusalem Council in chapter 15 and even onward. Right? I mean, he still insisted that they be baptized. But one thing to notice is that they had received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. They had received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. But, but what does it mean? If, if you can speak in tongues, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Does that mean you are not yet saved? You are semi-saved? There are a lot of people who believe that until you are baptized with water, you are not sealed. But the Bible tells me, ah, yeah, yeah, that we have been sealed by the Holy Ghost of promise. Ephesians 1.13 The seal, the down payment of all that we will receive in Christ. That's the seal, not water. It's the Spirit. So Cornelius and his family had believed, they had received the Spirit of God, they began to explode with tongues. Glory to God, they were saved. You better believe it. They were saved. I know that the traditions in the church sometimes is, okay, hear the gospel, believe the gospel, come out for an altar call. Can get baptized by water. After you get baptized by water, then wait a few times when the pastor organizes a, a revival meeting and then he will lay hands on you and you begin to speak in tongues. Now, that might be what happened with you, but just because that's the sequence that it happened in your church doesn't mean that's the model for the church of Christ. Hallelujah. See, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 8 from verse 8 to 9. It says, So they that are in the flesh cannot please God but you are not in the flesh but you are in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you it says now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is none of his look at that 
So the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, if it's something that you have to wait for several days or several weeks after you got born again, then it means you never belong to Christ in the first place because His Spirit was not with you. This verse says if the Spirit, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, then you don't belong to Christ. So what does this mean? It means that at the moment that you believed, glory to Jesus, at the moment like Cornelius, where you heard the gospel, believed in the message of the gospel, that Christ died and was risen after three days for your justification. Guess what? The spirit of God moves in. He baptizes you, oh glory to God, with fire. Hallelujah. You are baptized with the Holy Ghost in that moment and you belong to Jesus. Glory to God. You see, because baptism, the, the Greek word baptismal, it, it simply means this. It, it could mean so many things. It could be putting in water and all of that. But the actual interpretation of this word baptism is inclusion or immersion. That's a common word that many people associate with baptism anyways. Immersion. And, and it means bringing something that didn't belong into a new entity or group to belong to that group so it means you are never a part of something but when you baptize someone it becomes a part of that thing do you understand what i'm saying so baptism is 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 the inclusion plan of god to bring people into his family through the holy spirit hallelujah we have been we have been baptized that's what this is saying. I'm going to read a scripture to you that, that many people have never associated with baptism. And it's Romans 8. It literally has been staring us in the face. Romans chapter 8 from verse 15 to 16. If this is not exciting to you, I don't know what will get to you. This is good news. This is good news. This is good news. Romans 8, 15 to 16. Oh, come on, read this with me. For you have not received... The spirit of bondage again to fear. <laughs> what have you received, guys? You have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself, verse 16, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Hallelujah. So he tells you that you received the spirit of adoption. That's how you got into God's family. By the spirit of adoption. That's how you were included into God's family. By the spirit of adoption. That's how you were immersed into God's kingdom. By the spirit of adoption. Look at what 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 says. 1 Corinthians 12, from verse 12. Oh my goodness. Ah, brato, If you are baptized in the Holy Ghost, can you just pray in tongues for a few seconds? Oh, bratema tu sabrakiva teneda songish. Pambrakiva notombrativa katan. All who heard spoke in tongues, magnifying God. Brate sekete ketia batanado so brush katate membrakati. Oh, it was not about the ordinances of the law and upholding the circumcision. Oh, no, there is more to it now. It's by faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are baptized into his family. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Ah, oh, this is so good. 
It says, for as the body is one and hath many members. That's the human body. It has many members, many parts. And all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. So what Paul is trying to do is that he's trying to symbolize and, and represent the gospel, uh, pardon me, the human body with the body of Christ. Right? That's what he's trying to do. And so he's saying that there are many parts of the body, but all these parts are one body. Verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Look at that. By one spirit are we included? Are we immersed? Are we baptized into one body? Whether we are Jews or Gentiles, whether we are bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. Are you excited? That is beautiful. So if we're talking that there is one baptism, this is the baptism. The baptism by which we are included into the family of God, into the body of Christ. That is the true baptism. Glory to Jesus. I hope this is making sense to you. The baptism. Glory to Jesus. Glory to Jesus. I mean, you would have thought that if water baptism, you know, was super important and crucial, it would change a lot of narratives. And I'm going to give you an example. And this is one that I've mentioned a couple of times and I have to rehash it. You know, at the cross where Jesus was put to death, there were two people, you know, on one on his left, one on his right. And one tells him, mocks him, and he says, you know, you can't even save yourself. But the other guy's like, I beg, shut up. Can't you see that this man is innocent? You that you are guilty, you still have mouths to talk. Can't you see that this man is innocent? You know, and he said, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. That was a step of faith that he took and said, remember me in your kingdom, Lord. And do you know what Jesus said to him? You know, Imagine that he has said, oh, young man, young man, uh -uh. oh, my Jesus. Imagine Jesus said that. Oh, my Jesus. You mean, you mean it's now? You should have told me before now that I would have taken you to, to, to the river Jordan. We'll put you inside, baptize you. Then you come back here and then we'll now go to heaven. What rubbish. See, see, see. Oh, God, there's nothing I can do. Just manage, eh? manage. The, the fire is not too hot in hell. Just relax. Eh? You'll be all right. That would have been the narrative. If, if water baptism were crucially, ex you know, was, was very, very, was a major requirement for making heaven, that would have been the response of Jesus. But what does Jesus tell him? Do you remember the story? It says, verily, verily, when Jesus uses that term, verily, he tells you most assuredly, without a single shadow of doubt. I can tell you 200%, I am sure of this, that today you will be with me in paradise. See, there was no greater assurance of salvation than to hear it from the Lord of salvation, the captain of salvation himself. And he tells this guy free of charge that because of your faith in me, because that you, you have seen me as Lord and not just a, a, a criminal on the cross, but you want to be part of my kingdom. 
Today, I tell you, verily, you will be with me in paradise. Come on, guys. What does that tell you? It tells you that faith in the gospel is all that is necessary to be baptized into God's family, to be baptized by his spirit into his family. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Are you following? So, so you might want to ask them, then why, why, what, what was the purpose? What was the significance of water baptism? What was the significance of water baptism? Why did John baptize then? The first thing you need to realize is that it was a preparatory message to change the minds of people about sin and to look forward to the kingdom. It, the, 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 the baptism of repentance, which John was known for, the, the word repentance was metanoia. It, it's a repentance that has to do with changing your mind, reorientating your mind so that you can look forward to something else. Are you following what I'm saying? That was the idea. That was the idea of repentance to tell them that, look, you have been in your sins for too long. But let me show you the one, the Lamb of God who takes the sins, takes away the sins of the world. I'm going to show you him. So he was reorientating their mind about sin and the way sin was going to be taken care of. So he used water. You know, you need to realize that um, he was a demonstrative pro- prophet, right? He, he wasn't sent to baptize. He was sent to prepare the way for the people. Like, like all the other Messianic um, prophets would do, preparing the way for the Messiah. But he used the symbolism of baptism to prepare their hearts. So his mission was not, you know, arise, John, and baptize. It was arise, John, and be a voice, like a voice crying in the wilderness. Go and prepare the way for the Lord. Go and prepare the way. And he used baptism. Before now, um, the only thing close to baptism that was done was the, the Jewish ceremonial purity rites where they would try to cleanse themselves before they eat or when they touch unclean things, you know, to cleanse themselves of impurities. That was the closest thing, but this was this was a special, unique activity, baptism, that John only used for a period of time to let you know to usher people into a new dispensation, to usher people to a dispensation where the kingdom of God was now available. Hallelujah. Was now you know, within the reach of people. Praise the name of Jesus. So it was a preparatory message. The baptism itself was a message to the people, a message of repentance. Um, number two, it was symbolic of the ministry of Jesus, you know, and with the baptism of the Spirit. So this is basically what I'm saying. It was it was a foretelling of what Jesus was going to do, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And, and what this includes is, you know, when you... You, you put the person in, you know, um, into the water. This is how it's, it was symbolized. You put someone into the water, it represents death. You leave the person in the water for a few seconds. It indicates burial. You bring the person out of the water and you are alive. It means you are coming to new life. And with Jesus, when he came out of the water, the spirit of God descended upon him. Glory to God. And that was a testament for all believers who will do the same. So as, as a believer now, this, this is a, a public demonstration of what has happened to you spiritually. The ba- water baptism was a physical demonstration of what has happened to you spiritually. That in Christ you died with Christ. When he, he was buried, you were buried with him. When he was raised, you were raised with him. Hallelujah. 
And then when you erased to life, the spirit of God indwelt you. He came upon you and indwelt you. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That's beautiful, isn't it? But, but you can clearly see from all we've said that it, the water baptism was not enough. I mean, you heard of the guy called Apollos who had preached. The Bible says he only knew the, the baptism of John. And so Priscilla and Aquila, you know, went to him. They realized that this was greatly insufficient and they went to teach him. He was, he was a prolific teacher. He was eloquent, but they saw that he lacked revelation. He only knew the, the baptism of John. He probably was still telling people, oh, the Messiah is, you know, had, had come, but you need to be baptized to repent from your sins. That's all he was telling him. He was, he was doing it aggressively and excellently, but he had a lack in revelation, which they had to tell him that, look, the reality is here. There's more to this than just water. The spirit is here. Hallelujah. So water baptism was a prophetic activity preparing us for the true baptism, for that one baptism that Ephesians 4 tells us about. Praise the name of Jesus. I hope you've all learned this, but let me read the scripture to you to show you what actually happened spiritually as regards baptism. Aside the fact that you were, it's all part of the package. You were brought into God's family. You were a stranger. Now you've been adopted. This is what baptism is. Romans 6 verse 3 as we close. Romans chapter 6 from verse 3 to 7. Romans chapter 6 from verse 3 to 7. We're going to read it very quickly. I want everyone to open this. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm so pumped up. This is so good. It says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. So you can be baptized into Jesus Christ. How does that happen? By his spirit. So he said, don't you know that those of us, that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. And that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Come on, say a loud amen. Even so, we, sh we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together... In the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Hallelujah. Knowing this, that our old man is dead with him. Our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Do you see this? So the whole point of the baptism was to show us that we, had, we, we were dead in the likeness of his death. We were buried so that the body of sin might be destroyed. And we raised, were raised from the water. We were raised like he was raised so that we, we might walk in the newness of life. So this is the real baptism. It happened spiritually. It, it, it brought you and what Jesus did into the same equation. That as Jesus died, you died. As he was buried, you were buried. As he rose again, you rose again to live a new life full of the power and vitality of the Holy Spirit. So the good news is that you are no longer a stranger to God because you have been baptized. You are no longer an illegitimate child because you have been adopted. You are a child of God because you have been included. You are a citizen of heaven because you have been included. 
You belong to God because you have been immersed in him. Hallelujah. This is what the baptism is. Must you be baptized to go to heaven? Absolutely. But I tell you, dear believer, if you have put faith in the message of the gospel, like Cornelius and all his family, like the Ethiopian eunuch, if you have put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he, you know, as the Bible says, you believe, that you you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, that God has raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved it's no longer about the circumcision or keeping the law of Moses or being immersed in water to be saved guess what believe in Jesus Christ and all that he said to do for you on the cross when he died your death and was buried for you and was raised to life for your justification that's what counts that's what matters if that's you you belong to God you have been baptized into the family of God baptized into the body of Christ, baptized into the Lord Jesus, and I am happy for you. Heaven celebrates you. I want to give this chance to anyone who hasn't. I want to give this chance to anyone who hasn't. That all that you need to be saved, to, to be in heaven with the Lord, to be a citizen of heaven, is to believe in what he has done. He loved you so much that he gave his life for you. Believe in it and you will be saved. It's 100% guaranteed. Believe in God. Believe in what he did through his son Jesus on the cross. And you will be saved. Come on, make that decision today if you haven't. Believe in your heart right now. And confess that, Lord, I believe in you. Thank you because you died my death. So that you will forgive me of all my sins. And thank you, Lord, because of you. I get to live forever. I put my faith in you. And I have eternal life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because my old man is gone. My past is gone. I am a new man. I am a new woman. And I will live with you for all eternity. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. If you, if you just said that prayer, I welcome you to God's family. Welcome. You have been baptized into God's kingdom, and we will see you for all of eternity. Hallelujah. Heaven rejoices right now over you. Praise the name of Jesus. I hope you have been blessed. Look, we're still going to pray for a few minutes. This is the, we're, we're bringing the, the Praston program to an end. I know some of you have been craving so many meals that you couldn't get to eat. I'm sorry about that, but not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. It was good that we took that time out to, to, Separate ourselves from pleasures that are not God so that he is our ultimate pleasure I, I know some of you have been blessed by this program and you've seen results But I want us to just pray right and this is what you're gonna say you're gonna just say Lord Thank you for this past two weeks. My faith has been strengthened. My love for you is ignited My knowledge of you is deepened. My strength is renewed. My hope is alive and it remains the same in the name of Jesus. Come on, turn into prayer and say, Lord, as my faith has been strengthened, it remains the same. Lord, thank you. As my love in you has been, my love for you has been ignited. It stays the same. My knowledge of you is deepened and it deepens even further. My strength is renewed because it's 
it comes from you. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So I, I am stronger. My hope is alive and it remains more alive than ever before. In the name of Jesus. Come on, turn it to prayer. All the things that you've seen change in your life dramatically. Your knowledge in the Lord. Your love for the Lord. Come on, just pray that it remains and even grows further. That your knowledge deepens. That your love expands. That every capacity you have right now grows even further. As you've taken this past two weeks oh, to, to, to fast and to pray, your profiting appears to all. People will see your life and say, something is different about you. What did you do, Obehi? What did you do, Jessica? What did you do, Mercy? What did you do, Chinedu? Why, why, why is this? Something has changed. Something has changed. Your profiting will be evident to all. In the name of Jesus. Oh, we grow in capacity. We grow in love. We grow in knowledge. Thank you, Lord, because things are changing our lives. They will never remain the same. We are different. We are better. We are stronger. We are wiser. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. And we're going to pray this last one. Father, help me to live a heaven-centered life. That's what you're going to pray. Henceforth, Lord, help me live a heaven-centered life. And this is what it entails. Help me to, to think about your kingdom where I belong. Help me to think of all that is available there. Help me to, to remember who I am in your kingdom and what I have in your kingdom. Help me to get more people into the kingdom. Help me to lose my ties and weights to this world while I pursue the things that are above. I live in the realities and the possibilities of God's kingdom. Can you just turn that to prayer? It's a heaven consciousness. It's a heaven consciousness. It's a he heaven centeredness. Where heaven is the center. It's no longer a goal. Because you know that you are a citizen of heaven. Heaven already scored that goal with your life. You are already a citizen of heaven. But you're going to live in the consciousness. That you are just a pilgrim on this earth. That this is not your home. But you think of all that you have in heaven. All that you are in heaven when the world tells you you are poor when the world tells you you are not beautiful when the world tells you that you're not enough or you're not good enough or you're terrible or you're the worst of them all you remember your place in heaven you remember that you are loved of god you remember that you are a joint heir with christ you remember that in christ all things are made new. Come on, that's your life now. That's your life now. Come on, turn it to prayer. That in everything, you not, you won't see yourself as disadvantaged. You remember the possibilities that are with you in heaven. You remember that, oh, you have an inheritance in the saints. You remember that you have all power in heaven and on earth because Jesus has conferred it to you. You remember that you cannot be intimidated by the enemy. You remember that you cannot be at a disadvantage because the host of heavens are backing you. You. you remember that lord help me to be heaven centered help me to remember my place in heaven to remember the realities and the possibilities of your kingdom and lord help me 
that I lose my ties to this world. Come on, pray, pray that I lose my ties to this world, that I will not gain the whole world and lose my soul, that I would, I would invest in heavenly things. I will invest in eternal things, not the things of this earth. I want to lay up treasures for myself where moth and rust can affect. I lay up treasures in heaven. Oh Lord, I do the things that concern your kingdom. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Oh, thank you, Lord. I don't seek these things that are on the earth. My heart is not tied to money. I am not covetous. Oh, Lord, I lose my grip on the things that are on this earth, the perishables, and I look to the things that are imperishable in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. In the inheritance that faded not away, reserved for me in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's my life. I live in the consciousness of heaven. I live in the consciousness of the kingdom of God because that's where I am. That's where I am. I am in the kingdom of God. I am in heaven and heaven is in me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God. Hallelujah. In Jesus mighty matchless name we have prayed amen precious father in heaven we thank you for the prayers we have raised and for the words that we've heard thank you because we have been included into your family we've been baptized into one body by your spirit thank you lord because this is what is going to count for all eternity that we made a decision to put our faith in you and we loved you we trusted you in our salvation and because of that, we have received eternal life. Thank you, Lord. We will make sure that everyone we come across enjoy, enjoys the same things we have enjoyed in you. Thank you, Father. Thank you because we are better. We have prayed. We have fasted. Thank you because we are better. There is clear-cut direction for everyone now. They are not confused. They know what you want. Thank you, Lord, because everyone here is satisfied more in you. They're not looking for things to fill the voids in their hearts because there's no void. Because you are there. You satisfy completely. We are complete in you who is the head over all things. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.